Have you ever ordered food from the comfort of your home? Or have you ordered an Uber to take you home after a party? If the answer is yes, then you've participated in the gig economy and you've used services offered by the platform workers. But who are the platform workers and are they independent or fully employed? Hello and welcome to your Activist Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and this week we're taking a deep dive into the platform work directive proposed by the European Commission. The gig economy, also called sharing economy or access economy, is the activity where people earn income providing on-demand work, services or goods. Often it's through a digital platform like an app or website. And platform work is a form of employment in which organizations or individuals use an online platform to access other organizations or individuals to solve specific problems or to provide specific services in exchange for payment. Now, the European Commission has stepped in to regulate this sector by proposing a directive on platform work. But what is this directive and what is it trying to establish when it comes to workers' rights? So the Commission published this proposal in December 2021, and it looks to fight against bogus self-employment. What this means is that uh, there are up to 28 million, according to the Commission, there are up to 28 million platform workers in the EU today. And that number could go all the way up to 43 million by 2025. Theo Bourgeois is reporting on economy for Euractive. For some of these workers, in fact, the Commission estimates that that can go up to 5.5 million of them are what we call are in bogus self-employment, which means that they're deemed self-employed and treated as such by the platforms they work for, when in fact they should be deemed and treated as full-time employees. And so the directive sets out ways to reclassify these workers from self-employed to full-time employees, which should be their actual status, and that would allow them to have uh, further labor rights, etc. So that's very much um, the, the aim of the Commission. So far, the European Commission has worked, proposed and put on the table two key measures that aim to protect the workers' rights. So the Commission, in its proposal, has created to put forward two key measures. One is called the legal presumption of employment. What it means ultimately in the proposal is that if a platform worker meets a minimum number of criteria that suggests that there is some kind of subordination between them and the platform they work for, they ought to be deemed automatically um, full-time employees. The onus is then put on the platforms to reject this legal presumption and say, actually, in fact, this worker ought to be, I quote, genuinely self-employed as opposed to a full-time employee. The second key element, I guess, of this directive is introduction of some form of regulation over the use of of algorithms in the workplace and ensuring um, through this regulation that, uh, you know, the algorithms that impact workers day to day are respectful of their pride of their private lives and of, uh, uh, of ge- their rights under GDPR. And these goals set in the proposed directive will have to be put in place and followed by the member states, tells us Jovana Karanovic, assistant professor at the Rotterdam School of Management of the Erasmus University and founder of Reshaping Work Foundation, focusing on work-related issues. 
It sets goals that EU countries must achieve. But of course, it will be up to uh, EU member states to devise their own laws uh, in order to achieve these uh, set goals. A key aspect of the proposal coming from the Commission is to tackle employment status misclassification and to ensure fairness and transparency. To do so, the directive on platform work is necessary so all platforms follow the same rules. About 9 out of 10 platforms active in EU today classify people working through them as self-employed. The European Commission, on the other hand, believes a number of them to be bogusly self-employed. What does that mean? That means that they are being treated as employees. For example, they're being supervised um, in their work, they're being controlled or they're being told what to wear, for example. But on the other hand, they don't enjoy the same rights as employees, such as, for example, social protection, including uh, pension, uh, vacation pay, and so on. Um, Therefore, the Commission uh, believes a number of them to be incorrectly classified as self-employed, and the directive is supposed to tackle that misclassification problem. And which would you say is the biggest problem when it comes to platform work in general? I believe um, that something we perhaps don't talk enough about is the power disbalance. And in my opinion, a lot of issues um, uh, come from that. And that's something that we should uh, untangle. Um, And what I mean by this is that platforms call disproportionately more power compared to workers or consumers. Take, for example, a food delivery or ride-hailing platform. They know the destination, they know the address of a consumer, they know the route, um, they know whether uh, a consumer is coming from an affluent neighborhood or not. And all this information is available only to platforms and is not available to workers. And of course, this puts platforms in a superior position. For example, they may charge different prices based on uh, people coming from affluent neighborhoods. Um, They also have data on which price workers have accepted. So they may know that this worker is always willing to take a lower price than another worker. Um, And of course, it all comes down to data. It all comes down to information and data is power. And this is at the moment in the hands of platforms um, that puts them, like I said, in a superior position. This directive is expected to have an impact and tackle most of these problems that were mentioned by Jovana, and it wants to ensure more transparency on the information the workers receive. This aspect of the Platform Work Directive increases transparency um, and it requires platform to inform workers how algorithms are being used. It requires them to inform workers if any uh, changes are being made uh, to algorithm and so on. Of course, we have to ask ourselves, are workers in a position to comprehend that? Mm -hmm. You have to have a certain level of digital literacy to understand algorithms are very complex for for most people. Um, So um, creating some comprehensible guides, uh, toolboxes for workers to understand that, and of course, to have to have a power um, to give to voice their opinion and affect decisions, uh, I believe is the is also one of the major points. Uh, but of course, this will uh, largely depends of the member states and how they transpose this into nat- national legislations. And it's true that certain elements could indicate control and trigger employment presumption. How sound are these elements, in your opinion? 
I believe a, a number of um, control indicators, uh, such as, for example, inability to to build your own client base, um, make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some other aspects that um, stem from our traditional notion of what makes a freelancer. Mm-hmm. For example, traditionally, whether you can set your own rates, your own prices, is what makes you self-employed. And the European Commission has translated that in this context. But I believe this doesn't take into account the nature of of what the platforms are. Um, So, for example, what the uh, European Commission believes is that if workers cannot set their own prices, that should be one of the triggers that would trigger the presumption of employment. However, I think that we need to understand how does uh, price setting works on platforms and why it is not necessarily to workers' disadvantage. Um, So, for example, think about, uh, again, ride-hailing food delivery platforms um, that depend uh, on um, supply-demand um, uh, dynamics, meaning the prices um, vary. It is unlikely that workers acting alone would be able to account for that information. So, for example, if a uh, demand is really high, ride-hailing platforms such as Bolt and Uber would increase prices. Mm-hmm. Workers acting alone would not be able to do that. And this is to their disadvantage because they will have higher earnings. Of course, there is another side of that when the demand is low and the platforms may lower the prices, and that is definitely to workers' disadvantage. Also, we need to uh, make a difference between uh, platforms that have standardized tasks and those that have specialized tasks. So imagine if you're taking a taxi ride from your home to the airport, and every time there is a different price because every worker is suggesting you a different price. For you as a consumer, that creates some uncertainty. You don't want to go through that. So the fact that platforms are setting prices in this case actually helps. It creates certainty for consumers. Um, So So um, in in my opinion, when we are thinking about some of these triggers, um, we need to ask ourselves, does it make sense? Is it always to workers' disadvantage? Um, So in my opinion, for example, when it comes to price setting, it would make more sense that some platforms, especially those that have standardized tasks, should give price suggestions. But workers should have a right to amend that price. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, they could only accept and reject. I believe we can take that to the next level and allow workers to actually amend that price because they are the ones, if they're independent contractors, they can account for their costs. You're listening to your actives via the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on youractive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge in other fields, you can listen to our tech, agri-food and health podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcast at youractive.com. Theo, coming back to you now, so far the process has been moving forward. However, there are some concerns expressed. What are these concerns and where are they coming from? Well, ultimately, we understand where the commission comes from, right? The commission is very clear that it doesn't want to kill the gay economy and it doesn't want to, you know, a, a, a fight of business innovation in, in the field of the gig economy. However, those pr- workers in the EU that need protection uh, the commission is there to to ensure that essentially that so in fact 
Um, the Commissioner for Employment, which is in charge of the file, Nicholas Schmidt, um, said in an interview with Erective that he thought the Commission proposal was balanced and fair to find the right balance between protecting workers' rights on the one hand and supporting business innovation uh, and platform innovation in the EU. Platforms have taken a slightly different take. Um, they're worried that with the legal presumption of employment in place, this might lead to a to a form of mass reclassification where all workers could technically fall into fall within the scope of the legal presumption and be deemed full-time employees as a result. This mass reclassification may lead to uh, job losses, and actually, according to a report uh, published by a think tank that was sponsored by the industry, um, they would they estimate that there could be a job loss of up to two hundred fifty thousand jobs in the EU if this directive were to come through. Um, so they're worried that you know protecting workers and or, or should I say the full reclassification of workers would impede on their ability as platforms to develop in the EU. Yovana, with Reshaping Work, you hosted a multi-stakeholder dialogue on this topic. Of course, there are concerns, as we heard already, and disagreements. But what is something that companies, uh, unions, advocacy groups and the rest uh, agree on? With the Reshaping Work Foundation, we hosted uh, a multi-stakeholder dialogue bringing together a number of different stakeholders that that have a stake in this debate, such as unions and companies, micro businesses, advocacy groups, and as you can imagine, there were a lot of the, there were a lot of points of disagreement, mm-hmm. but there was actually some points of agreement where they all came together, and one of these is uh, social protection. Mm-hmm. So everybody believes that workers, regardless of their status should have some basic social protection. Uh, So, for example, we can say, well, vacation pay is an add-on. It doesn't constitute a basic level of social protection, but um, occupational insurance or pension, something that actually carries a cost for the social system for everybody, should actually uh, be available to everybody, regardless of whether they are self-employed or employees. Um, and, and I believe that bringing these groups together and generating such dialogues is essential going forward uh, beyond the platform work directive. And what can be done to avoid mass uh, reclassification and job losses? How do you picture the future based on your work and research? We are definitely going to see uh, some major changes as a result of implementation if the platform workers directive is implemented. Um, For one, I expect to see market consolidation. Um, If platforms will have to offer um, social protection to a number of people in their workforce, this will significantly increase the costs for these platforms for their operations. It will definitely increase prices for consumers as well. Um, So we expect, uh, you know, some some proportion of consumer base to actually fall out, uh, not to rely on these platforms anymore. Um, So that will definitely reduce lead to certain consolidation where bigger platforms will probably buy buy out the smaller ones. Uh, a number of newer players uh, will probably not will not be able to operate under these new conditions. Uh, but I also expect to see platforms using third-party logistics providers to uh, avoid being reclassified as employers. And this is something that a current directive does not cover. So it covers the relationship between uh, the platform, the contractual relationship between platforms and those that work through them. But it does not prevent platforms from 
being in a contractual relationship with third-party logistics providers mm -hmm. uh, who then, of course, contract these workers. Uh, because, like I said, uh, the cost for them in having workers classified as employees will be uh, huge. Mm -hmm. And the current landscape of platforms is not looking very plausible. Um, as you probably know, in uh, past decades, since many of these platforms have existed, most of them never turned profit. Mm -hmm. And investors are furious, and um, they pretty much gave them ultimatum. They have to turn profit. And if they have faces uh, increased costs, uh, that will be quite difficult. Um, so like I said, I believe uh, bigger players will stay on the market. Uh, but more than that, they will have to find ways to adopt their business models. And Theo, what are the next steps that the European Commission will be taking and how will we see this evolving? In fact, everything is a bit up in the air at this stage. What, after the um, proposal was presented or introduced, um, there were parallel negotiations at EU Council and the Parliament. The Parliament agreed uh, its mandate in early February after months and months of tough negotiations to uh, quote the rapporteur Elisabetta Guamini at the EU Council, we've reached a stalemate. And to keep it very simple, there seems to be a split um, between, I would say, the more ambitious and pro-legal presumption countries of the likes of Spain, the, the, the Netherlands, uh, Belgium, Luxembourg, etc. And those who are, in the name of business innovation, quite wary that this legal presumption might actually stifle the development of platforms in their countries, um, France has been very vocal against uh, the proposal as it stands. So far, there are no uh, middle grounds, and it sounds like uh, we're uh, the stalemate is uh, is there to last at the EU Council before we can even start thinking about uh, interinstitutional negotiations, trilogues as we call them in uh, in Brussels. Now, regardless on what will be the next steps from the Commission, there must be a safe place for workers, businesses, and stakeholders to operate. We need to keep uh, creating a safe place for different actors to come together. This needs to be a coordinated action, an action that takes into account voices of workers, also of the business sector, because as Europe, we definitely want to make a fertile ground for local, for European grown businesses to prosper. Um, we need to keep bringing opinions of researchers, advocacy groups and unions in order to arrive at solutions that matter for all. Thank you very much. I am Evi Kiori and this was your Active Spin the Byline podcast. If you want to learn more about the Platform Work Directive, visit our YouTube channel to watch our explainer on this topic. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself with the help of Theo Bourgeri-Gons and I want to thank our executive producer Malte Gettelsen. Thank you for listening and see you next week.